Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson and with me as always is... Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. We thank you for joining us as we explore, discuss, and grow together as followers of Christ. So, Lucas, what's going on, man? How are things going? Uh, it's been a weird few days. It's going to be a weird week. Um, we're gearing up to move across the country during a pandemic, which is super exciting. We started packing. Wow. But Elaine started packing yesterday or the day before, um, and then we were doing a, a bunch more packing earlier. We filled up a bunch of boxes with the books we're going to bring and they're super heavy so that's gonna be fun <laughs> mm. but Good yeah times. it's like a weird time like the you know knowing we're leaving in a week well just about a week from the time that we're recording this and um getting things all packed up and it's just it's just such a weird feeling like those kinds of transitions they're just yeah really weird they're huge yeah and like this is my last you're gonna be in a completely different weeks. part of the world yeah it, i mean it feels like a different world altogether honestly you know massachusetts compared to alabama but we'll we'll see how it goes um yeah and you know like only one more week of work which is strange i've never left a full-time job before so this has been an interesting experience like letting them know working out all the logistics and everything is is kind of new and i mean it's just kind of like i said it's just a weird time so things are going but they're definitely going weird you know i get that yeah yeah what about you guys? Yeah, things are good. I mean, we um, things have been really crazy where I work. Uh, I mean, we have one lady out on maternity leave, one other lady who put in her notice and is no longer there. So we went from a team that's supposed to function with four to a team of two um, within the last month. So things have been, like, chaotic, to say the very least. And, um, like, I don't know if I'm just, like, extra stressed or if the new pillow that I got is like demonically haunted or something, but like I've been having crazy what? dreams every night <laughs> for the past couple of weeks, and I don't normally dream, or if I do, I don't remember them. But like, like last night I had a dream that my car, um, like so my car that I have, it doesn't the, the parking brake doesn't work, mm-hmm. and because it's a stick shift, I have to leave it in gear if I don't want it to roll. So in my dream, this car that I'm on the verge of selling in real life um, rolled off a cliff. <laughs> and into like the water below uh, because I forgot to leave it in gear. And so like I was having this like super stressful dream trying to figure out like how I'm going to get my car, how I'm going to sell my car. So, like, are, there a lot of, are there a lot of cliffs in Wisconsin? I've, I can't say. No, that's the weird thing. Any. <laughs> no, I don't. I mean, there probably are somewhere, but not, not near where we live. But, but yeah, things are going pretty well. Um, we're just kind of taking it a day at a time. Yeah, yeah. Well... Not really related to taking it a day at a time, but today what we are going to be talking about um, is uh, kind of an, I think it's a really interesting topic. I don't know that I would think that I'm the best person to, you know, talk about it in terms of my experience or knowledge, um, but it, this is a topic that was requested by listener and friend of the show and biggest fan of the show and cousin of my wife who wanted us to talk about the papacy um so that's what we're going to talk about today so if you we want to sort of clarify you know put the caveat at the beginning so that we don't have to keep 
repeating ourselves or, you know, giving any false impressions. But obviously, we're not experts on the papacy. We're not even Roman Catholics. So our personal experience, the churches that we uh, attend, have served in, the schools that we've studied at, um, you know, we don't have like this vast expertise base of knowledge on the ins and outs of the Pope, the role that the Pope plays, what the Pope does, what he's all about, you know. We are theological-minded people who like to learn and like to sort of share what we are learning. So, and we're Protestants who do that. So I want to sort of respectfully note at the beginning that we're outsiders sharing, you know, not by any stretch uh, perfectly, I'm sure, but we're not trying to slander or misinform people um, or be, you know, take shots at, at, at Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. What we're trying to do is express, you know, hopefully mostly in their own words from documents and, and theologians and stuff, uh, what it is that the, that the papacy, what the Pope is all about. Um, right. So, yeah. I'll I just don't real know. quick throw yeah. in like a little caveat. Um, two caveats. Um, so if you hear background noise, uh, our street became like um, Main Street 2.0 because our entire Main Street is torn up for reconstruction. And like we're <laughs> one of the main routes to get around town. So if you hear sirens, if you hear loud, loud cars, uh, that's what that is. I apologize for the background noise. Uh, that was caveat one. Caveat two, um, what I've found interesting, you know, we're, we're talking about the papacy. Papacy? Papacy? I say papacy. I, I don't, don't know. know. Papacy. We're talking <laughs> we're about papacy. We're Protestants. Again, and that's that's kind of like to the point. It's like like you said, we're, we're outsiders sort of looking in. Um, but what I've what I've found fascinating in, talk, in, in sort of like studying this and then studying what we're going to be talking about in our next episode is um, w- like authority. Like that's, that's a big thing in these is like where authority is, like where we derive it from, mm. who, who is authority, who has authority, um, to whom do we submit? Like that's, that's some really interesting stuff that has crossover into Protestantism. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, and when we think about ourselves as Protestants, um, we are not like a separate religion. Um, you know, sure, we might have some like fundamental differences theologically, um, but the reformers did not consider themselves like, oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> they did not consider, <laughs> right? Uh, they didn't consider themselves like revolutionaries trying to like start a new country and start a new religion, but they saw themselves as reformers wanting to be like, hey, we're Catholic and we want to get back to like biblical roots. We want to readjust where authority rests. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I've, I found that interesting and I'm sure it's going to come up here and there as we have these discussions this week and next. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of excited to jump in. Yeah. Yeah. So hopefully if we have any Roman Catholic friends who, who are listening, um, hopefully you can hear what we have to say well. Hopefully we speak well and don't make any glaring mistakes. Um, and hopefully this can start conversations not just between Protestants and Catholics, but um, just between Christians in general around, you know, exploring a topic that might be new to you, um, or maybe it's not, but definitely has implications for a lot of other doctrines and ways of doing theology in church that I think really are the big differences uh, between 
between Rome and and non-Rome, <laughs> um, more so than even the specific doctrinal differences. They, they come from, like you're saying, um, more fundamental differences in terms of how we approach doing theology or how we approach uh, doing church in the world. So with, with all that kind of being said, a bit of a long-winded intro, but we, you know, wanted to get it out there. I think it's important. So we're talking about, like we said, the papacy. So the Pope, the Bishop of Rome. Um, everyone probably has some mental picture of what the Pope looks like, what the Pope is. You may or may not remember that the current Pope uh, is Pope Francis. Um, the Basically, you know, as Bishop of Rome, uh, the, the Pope is the head of the Roman Catholic Church. That would be sort of my super, you know, condensed definition in terms of like, what is the Pope? Oh, he is the head of the Roman Catholic Church. And I think that that's sort of deceptively simple because there are a lot of other pieces to that that are kind of wrapped up in what Rome teaches about the office of the papacy, the office of the Bishop of Rome. Um, but in sort of the most simple terms, he's, he's the Bishop of Rome, the head of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, so for some church traditions who don't have bishops, you might not necessarily have like you know, a mental image of a bishop that you know in real life, but for the churches who are structured that way with, with bishops and archbishops and all that kind of stuff, um, the the jurisdiction that the Pope has is just extends to the entire church. He's, he's the head, you know, sort of like the archbishop of archbishops, I guess. Um, the head of the entire church, not just the head of, you know, the diocese in New England or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Kind of a simple definition. Is there anything else you'd add to sort of a like overview, like what, who is the Pope or, or yeah. want to like move on, uh, you know, up to you, how you want to kind of yeah. approach this. Yeah. I mean, first of all, my city must be burning down because these <laughs> sirens have not stopped. <laughs> um, Hey, <laughs> um, so maybe if we want to talk about like sort of where this comes from you know this this idea that the pope is the you know the bishop of rome um many will often look at like the early church in rome as sort of like a central hub they see sort of like the roman church as being you know a big church it had um, a big influence a big reach um some say that saint clement um, who was the bishop in rome um you know back in the early first century he was writing letters to other churches and so sort of seeing him as perhaps being authoritative in a way that he, you know, maybe those are younger churches, churches that were trying to settle doctrinal disputes, um, but people in Rome sending out letters, sending out correspondence um, as sort of a well-established church and having this, like I said, sort of like a central hub. And I mean, really the Pope sees himself in the line of, um, popes that come from Peter. So many will say that Peter was sort of like the first pope. He was the first bishop to um, sort of be the head of, of the church, so to speak. And they sort of get this from, I believe, like Matthew 16, right? Where they, yeah. where Jesus, you know, sort of hands over the keys, um, you know, to, to Peter, the saying that, you know, the church is going to be established on this rock. 
I don't know if you have anything you want to add about that passage, but that's sort of like yeah. where we get this general idea. I think we should we should come back to that passage because I think it might make a little more sense to to sort of get into some of the the more specific uh, claims about the papal office um, in terms of in terms of what it means to be pope, what the what the pope represents and, and exercises, and then kind of to kind of work backwards to to where in scripture um the the basis of of the the papacy itself is um so i think there are kind of three three main or i guess really two main things um that we wanted to focus on in terms of what what rome teaches or claims about the pope and that would be the the doctrines that we'll we'll call that that are known as papal supremacy and papal infallibility. So we can just go in order. So papal supremacy basically is that the bishop of Rome, the pope, is the head of the entire church. Not just the head of one diocese, not just the head of one um, branch of the church, uh, but the... The bishop, the head bishop of the entire church. So, in the Roman Catholic, in the Catechism of the Roman Catholic Church, um, uh, paragraph eight eighty two says that the Pope, Bishop of Rome, and Peter's successor, quote, is the perpetual and visible source and foundation of the unity both of the bishops and of the whole company of the faithful. End quote. For the Roman Pontiff by reason of his office as vicar of Christ and as pastor of the entire church has full supreme and universal power over the whole church, a power which he can always exercise unhindered. So I think that that's a super helpful little passage because a, it's very clear <laughs> and explicit and B it's from the, the, the catechism of the church. So it's not, it, it, it's pretty clear this is this is in the church's words what the church wants to how the church wants to to teach its people um sort of what the pope possesses in his office so this is the supremacy of the pope refers to his supremacy over the church like it said full supreme and universal power over the whole church again the whole church meaning every christian on the planet not the way that a Protestant might be used to different denominations having different leaders. Um, but, but there is the idea is that as like they say, Vicar of Christ, the Pope, the person who, who occupies the seat, the seat of Peter, um, which we'll get to is the Supreme Pontiff over the entire church. So kind of an interesting particularly for non-Catholics, I think, kind of an interesting position to hold. Um, I don't know if there are any like immediate thoughts you have that you, that you want to share or anything else you want to flesh out on, in terms of like sort of establishing what papal supremacy is. Yeah, I guess one of the things that uh, came to mind, um, maybe like in, in researching this, this topic here, I was a little confused by the difference between um, papal primacy and papal supremacy. I don't know if there really is a big a big difference. 
um, or if you can speak to that, but like sort of like reading about some of these things, there seems to be a little bit of an overlap. Um, yeah, I but like if, if I'm I might be mistaken, but I think primacy refers to like the Pope, the Pope's relationship with other bishops. If that makes sense. And so, so like, yeah, and then the supremacy would be to like the church. Yeah, I might be like I said, I might be wrong about that, but I think that's so. They are related, I would say. Like, okay, he, you know, he's yeah, that, supreme that head of the right. church, so it makes sense that he would be the prime bishop of the church as well. But yeah, yeah, that's what I think. But it's, at least. yeah, it's okay. That that that's a helpful clarification, I guess. I just I I I'm really fascinated by the idea that the Pope enjoys as they say, by divine institution, supreme, full, immediate, and universal power. Um, Those are some, like, really strong words, I think, um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, it's it's worth considering, you know, what they mean. And um, obviously, this is a point of contention for Protestants and Catholics, as this is, like, one of the things that caused the Great Schism, and this is part of what divides Catholics from Protestants. but I'm curious, yeah, what else you were going to add there? Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't really have much else to add in terms of sort of what what, is, what it means to, to be, for the Pope to have papal supremacy, I guess I should say. Um, I do think it goes back to sort of what you pointed out in the beginning, where really, like, so many differences between Catholics and Protestants, I think, really this is an issue of authority um mm-hmm. like literally in this case i guess you know who who we believe the pope is or who we believe jesus gave authority to on earth you know it is obviously central to this question to to understand our understanding of of the role of the bishop of rome or our understanding of the role of bishops in general you know if we obviously you know like you belong to a theological tradition that wouldn't even necessarily have room for bishops in terms of your understanding of church governance and stuff. And obviously that's going to be a big difference from a different tradition, which has bishops, including one who's the supreme head of all the church, you know, um, whether, whether you think this side or that side has it more accurate or whatever is kind of irrelevant just in terms of, like you're saying, this is a question of authority when we're talking about how much authority does Pope Francis have? And then secondarily, you know, or not really secondarily, but like question two, follow-up question, why does he have that authority? Or why does he have that, you know, supremacy to use the more, I guess, technical term, I guess, I don't know. Um, And I don't even know if like papal supremacy is a term that Catholics use, or if that's like a term that other Christians use to describe describe what they think. Yeah. You know, like, 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 yeah. Like, there are lots of examples of that kind of, like, Anabaptist was kind of used to mock the Anabaptist because it means, like, re-baptizers or whatever. And, um, and yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if, 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 it, if it's a technical term in that sense, but at least it's, I've always heard it when talking about this kind of, this, this, these topics of, of who the Pope is, what, what the, and also we should, we should probably point out too, like, these refer to not Pope Francis specifically, but the office like whoever is the current pope it's it's not like only really special powerful people get to be popes and that's why he has all this power it's the office of the pope the office of the bishop of rome carries with it grants him these things right um which 
I guess might be a, a decent segue into like the other sort of major papal like doctrine of papal infallibility, um, which, you know, in some sense is kind of what it sounds like. Uh, in another sense, I think is very different than what it sounds like. Um, so basically, like the idea with papal infallibility is that it's you know to be infallible, like a lot of, a lot of times, especially evangelicals, but but many Protestants would would refer to the Bible as infallible meaning it has no mistakes what it or or you know no errors more, more specifically even everything that it says everything that it teaches the claims of it what it puts forward is perfect truth right you know like it can't say oh god is love and then it turns out god's not really love like it's infallible in in what it teaches so that applied to to the pope wh- specifically according to the actual doctrine of of the roman catholic church is that when the pope is speaking you know out of the authority of his office on matters of doctrine on matters of faith and morals i often hear it's put that way um what he is saying is infallible by virtue of his responsibility and role as the head of the church when he is in that capacity speaking on a doctrinal question, what he determines um, is infallible. In 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 my understanding, in the same way that the writings of Holy Scripture are infallible in what they put forward mm-hmm. on a matter of doctrine, um, it's not like every word Francis ever says is perfect. That's not what the doctrine means. <laughs> um, so that would be sort of a, that would be a, not sort of, that would be a complete straw man to sort of, to sit here and say, oh, that's silly because, you know, people make mistakes. Like that's not what's being said. It's a little more nuanced. It's a little more specific when it's talking, it's talking about his role, his office, you know, um, what he, you know, when he's fulfilling that task of leading the church in matters of doctrine and stuff like that what he says is infallible um which is obviously related to this whole idea of the authority of the papal office that that applies not just to his relationship to other bishops or his relationship to the church but also in terms of you know what he does with that office is is pretty like you said pretty strong words you know supreme ultimate unhindered infallible these are these are emphatic words and i think it it is important to recognize that whether you agree or disagree, um, these are these are some pretty um, significant claims. If they're true, they really do change things. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think that I, I, like what what else do we want to say, sort of about who the Pope is or what the Pope is before we kind of maybe take a step back and look at sort of maybe. The, the basis for these claims or the foundation for these beliefs. Do you have anything else you maybe want to highlight about like what the Pope is? I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I just want, want to re- reiterate again, just that we're speaking as outsiders. And, you know, if there are things that we're saying that a, a Catholic might hear and be like, well, that's not quite right. Like, please point that out. Like, I'm happy to admit that I can be wrong and that I can err. Um, you know, I don't have papal infallibility. I don't have any sort of infallibility, so <laughs> I don't want to pretend well, actually, that I do. I would disagree with that. Well, I cannot speak and have it be true all the time. 
which I, I understand is not what is being said here either. I was but trying you, to make a joke, you, but yeah. <laughs> that's true. I'm no fun. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I, I yeah, I just I, this is something that as I sort of again was like reading about you know the Pope and his office and what he does and what he's said and um, how these things have developed over the last two thousand years, like. A lot of it was like, man, this is all just like so confusing. Like if I thought like Protestant theology was hard at times, like some of the, the Catholic dogmas and the Catholic doctrines are um, just so fascinating. But um, yeah, this these are things that aren't these, these are dogmas. Like these are things that like, these aren't just like opinions about the Pope. These are the things that like are- Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you, it, it's you in have, the catechism. You know, this right. is the official- teaching of the church so right. to be a catholic like, whether you know you it or not you know to be a things. roman catholic today means that you accept these doctrines about the pope yeah, yeah i don't know and i i i think my my knee-jerk reaction as a protestant when I'm reading a lot of this was you know wanting to sort of like recoil like you know some like moments of cringe or some moments of like oh man well that's obviously not good um, and so, like, I don't, I don't want this episode to be seen as just like, you know, bashing on Catholics or, ba- uh, you know, bashing on the Pope or anything. Right. Um, but really trying to understand the fact that, like, in one sense, our our two streams at one point flowed from the same source, and at mm-hmm. some point there was a, a divergence. And so, trying to recognize, like, how, on the one hand, how we are Catholic. On the other hand, how we are unique and distinct. And these aren't unimportant matters because when it comes down to authority, when it comes down to, um, you know, sort of like the nitty gritty of this conversation, like it is important. It is important who has authority, who is the head of the church or who is um, able to speak authoritatively on, on certain matters. And I think mm-hmm. our next episode will be a really good example of, of where um, papal infallibility comes into play because a lot of the Marian doctrines have become dogmas because of the Pope declaring them as such, and because he's because he, as this, from his you know office of Pope and with papal infallibility has said such, it is now like cemented as dogma, and there's nothing right. that you can necessarily say or do and so um you know where that becomes problematic or where you might feel uncomfortable with that we'll sort of get into it in that episode um but i I think just for the sake of you know transition here um you know this really does come down to authority and i i I think it's a a really good conversation to continue here so yeah and you know like those what you're getting at and um you know what we'll get a little more into when we talk next time about some of these Marian um, dogmas in, in the Roman church. Like there are so many huge philosophical theological um, debates that we would need to get into to like get to the bottom of, you know, why someone would be comfortable with the Pope declaring infallibly something about Mary and that being now, set in stone you have to accept it if you want to be a true you know catholic christian um to to some of us that probably sounds just on the face of it utterly insane to be kind of blunt 
and then to others it probably doesn't whether that whether it's if it's because it's what you grew up with or you, or what you've come into or different philosophical backgrounds and and there's there's so much more than we're going to be able to get into in this kind of question of, of, in terms of the basis the you know what do we believe about the church because it's it's not you know it it's not just there's this you know the doctrine of of the of the papacy exists in some vacuum and then all catholics just sort of are stuck with it you know what i mean like it flows out of roman catholic ecclesiology how they understand the church and just just like the protestant response to that level of of authority in terms of a church hierarchy is going to have a lot to do with their understandings of how the church is built and their own philosophical and theological background. So these are, I wanted to point this out. These are really, really big conversations, even over and above any specific doctrine about the Pope or any specific doctrine about Mary or, you know, anything like that. Um, but I do think that is kind of a, a good point to transition to like, where does this where like zooming out a little bit, from the Roman Catholic perspective, where does the Pope come from more in generally, more in general, I mean, not necessarily the the specifics of, you know, supremacy and infallibility and stuff, but just where can we trace the Pope back to? And like you mentioned earlier, the primary text is um, uh, Matthew 16, which is where the Jesus is talking with the disciples we have Peter say, you know, his, I forget the exact quote, but he basically confesses that Jesus is the Messiah and, and, and the Son of God. And Jesus says, um, you are, this is when he changes his name from Simon to Peter. He says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Um, and then he talks about uh, the, he, he, he hands over um, to Peter some would say, like the, the Roman Catholics would say, the keys to the kingdom, whatever you uh, bind on, on earth is, has, is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Those whose sins you forgive on earth are forgiven in heaven. And those whose sins you retain on earth are retained in heaven. Um, and so the idea is that Jesus is giving the keys to the kingdom, which means, you know, the, the ability to bind and loose, retain and forgive, that is given to Peter. Those keys are given to Peter. You know, we, we sometimes we'll hear about the keys of Peter, the keys of St. Peter. It's referring back to that. Um, and that because Jesus says, you are Peter on this rock, I shall build my church. The rock is identified as Peter himself. So Peter is the one on who, you know, Jesus singles Peter out. He doesn't give, he doesn't talk to the other apostles. He doesn't talk about future disciples. He doesn't talk about a place. He's talking about Peter on, on, on you know, on you, I will build my church. Um, so the idea is that that's where we see Peter sort of being made the first Pope, the first Supreme head of the church, right? He's the foundation on which the church is going to be built. And he's been given the keys to the kingdom. So that's sort of the origin from a, from a biblical perspective, at least the main one that, I, that I'm familiar with, of the office of the papacy. And then those keys 
to the kingdom have been passed down in succession to those who have come after Peter as Bishop of Rome. Um, so that's sort of a overarching view of, of, of where I would tend to go to in terms of like, what's the right. origins of the papacy and biblically like, speaking, biblically like from, speaking, from, like you're saying from the, from scripture. Right. Because we, we could, we could spend years studying, you know, 2000 years of church history and reading the early church to see the, the ways that the church and, and the, the office of the papacy have, has developed through history and, and sort of changed and, and, you know, played itself out in different ways. But if we're just talking about making a theological statement and understanding of, of, of the role of the Bishop of Rome, that's where we would go back to at the most basic level is, is basically Matthew 16, Jesus gives Peter the privilege of being the foundation of the church and in possession of the keys. So I have some thoughts about that. I don't know if you have any immediate thoughts that that you'd want to share um, about anything. that passage or about this idea uh, well well about about that passage being interpreted in that way about about that passage being interpreted as basically the basis of the roman catholic understanding of of the pope yeah i don't know if i have a whole lot to really add or clarify there i think you did a pretty good job of summing it up um i've often you know, had the question of like, you know, why isn't there more of like a biblical witness to this or this office being handed down from one person to another? Um, because again, if we're gonna be talking about authority, where we derive authority, if scripture is our basis, we would first obviously want to go there. Um, tradition has some value of, as we've said in, in other episodes, but um, when you look at like the doctrine of the Pope, or if you look at the, the, the development of the, the Pope over, um, you know, the first couple hundred years, and then now the last couple of centuries since, since Peter, um, you know, a lot of this has taken some like significant time to develop. And like, it makes sense because, you know, even as Protestants, obviously the word Trinity isn't found in scripture, yet it's a teaching and it's a doctrine that we see all over the pages of scripture. And it sort of took some time to like flesh that out in church history. And so like, I understand that. And I know like the Catholic church sort of says the same thing about the Pope that like not everything that we know about the Pope is said explicitly in scripture, but it has to be, um, you know, discerned and fleshed out and developed. Um, I guess some of where, some of where I have problem is like how late a lot of these things develop. Like we're talking, you know, 1800s. Some of this thing starts coming. Some of these things start coming up as, um, you know, I think even like the papal infallibility. I think they they yeah, haven't. That was like in, that was a, a rather recent development. Yeah, in I, it was in Catholicism. The, the first Vatican Council, which I think was in the eighteen seventies. I might be right. About that, so we're talking but... like within American history, not just world history. Um, yeah, yeah, which and, is an interesting, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. part to all this for sure, for sure. It, I think that is an interesting thing that I'm not going to pretend to speak on behalf of Catholics to, exactly, you, you yeah. know, to speak to that. Um, but I think it is an interesting, it, it's interesting to think about how solid and firm and ancient these teachings are, are, are trying to be. And I don't mean that, you know, cynically, like they're lying to you or whatever, but, but I just mean, I think that when you, when you, 
sort of map these things into the way that they actually played out, the questions get kind of complicated. Like, right. so you're saying the Pope can speak infallibly now? Does that mean he always could? Why didn't we say that before? Um, what about, what does that mean if Popes have said different things at different points, if, if they go against each other? Like, like you know, like, Again, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of or pretend that I have like a gotcha moment, but just like it's these are some really interesting questions that arise when we start examining those kinds of things. Um, right. The only other thing I really wanted to say was was some brief thoughts on Matthew 16. Like you kind of mentioned, like it's surprising that we wouldn't see more about like the handing down. Like Paul wouldn't flesh these things out in his letters, for example. Yeah, or and Peter like himself. Where, like why didn't Peter? Yeah. Yeah, and we don't see in Matthew 16 or anywhere else, but but you know, especially it's worth focusing on the passage where this is apparently going on. We don't see anything about his successors. So, that's kind of an inference that you're kind of just putting onto the text um that Peter's successors somehow you know are stand in the this line of succession where they are you know, having that. Same well, if this was such authority. an important, if this was such an important thing, you'd think that either Jesus or Peter himself would sort of give an example of like who qualifies as a successor. What does it mean for a person to become one? Like, how do we determine who will be the next, you know, person to hold this office? Because again, if this was as important as it seems to be, you would expect that to be the case. To not just have Jesus saying this only to Peter. And then to never really have it come up again in these in these words. And I think that's sense. that's another thing too. Is is he talking only to Peter? Because I think what we see in Matthew sixteen, and we see this especially too in um, John twenty one. I think it is. It, it's it's a parallel passage in John where where Jesus, it's after the resurrection, and Jesus is talking to the disciples. He gives there. He gives all of the disciples the keys to the kingdom. And I think what's going on is that the keys to the kingdom are being given to the apostles. You know, I would say that is continued in the ministry of of the bishops today and down through history. But it's not the ministry of a bishop. (laughs) You know, it's not it's not the ministry of this particular person or bishop or, or, you know, this particular um, office that stands in the line following this particular person. I think that what we see is the keys to the kingdom, which that could be an interesting episode to talk about later. Just what exactly does it does do those does what are those responsibilities? What are those keys really mean? But but whatever they are, um, I think it, that when you really examine it, they're being given to the apostles as the first bishops, as the leaders of the church, those who were taking the gospel around the world you know, immediately following Jesus's ascension and all that, all of that. Peter's one of them. Peter's often a leader, I would say, we see in, in, in throughout the Gospels um, and, and Acts. I think that Peter often does sort of take on the role of a leader, but that's a little bit different than saying that he is the sole, you know, owner of the keys or whatever. Um, and then also there's, there's questions around, you are Peter on this rock is the rock Peter or is the rock Peter's confession of Christ as the, as the son of God, as the Messiah, Um, which I don't think, I don't, I don't think you really need one or the other to 
like I like if you say it's Peter, I don't think that automatically leads to the doctrine of the Pope because of the other things I've already said in terms of where do we get his successors? I don't think he's getting the keys. I think the apostles are getting the keys, and I think that's really the biggest thing. Um, but then also, is Peter himself even the rock that Jesus is talking about? Um, he might be, you know, like the in Acts two, like the the huge, the, you know, the biggest sermon in Acts or whatever. Like Peter gives it, he might be, um, but I don't think I mean, his he, name literally is Rock. I mean, yeah, that's what Peter means too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which, which I think you know, you could say that's that shows that that is what Jesus is talking about. And I, you know, maybe maybe Jesus did want Peter to be a leader, but that's not the same thing <laughs> as adding all these other pieces to it, where we talk about right. the the papacy as it's understood and practiced in in the Roman Church. Um, and then just two final thoughts: if Peter is the Pope, it's interesting to me how Paul responds to him when he's in sin in Galatians and Paul confronts him about being hypocritical and uh, eating with Gentiles until some Jews, some Judaizers came. And then he like stopped eating with the Gentiles because he was, you know, scared or or wanted to earn their favor or whatever, you you know? Um, And then Paul says that I confronted him to his face and basically like rebuked him for sinning. Um, It's interesting. Like, in the recount, I'm not saying that that nobody is able to rebuke the Pope if he was caught in sin. I'm not, again, I'm not a Catholic. Maybe that's just not an issue for them. It's just it's still interesting how the whole the whole exchange is framed. Paul doesn't make any reference to his supremacy. Like he he rebukes it. I think when I read it, he rebukes him as a brother, which is right. What, what as an equal, which is what should be going on. Um, it, you know, as opposed to rebuking him as the vicar of Christ or rebuking him as the supreme head of the church. And then also in Acts 15 in the Jerusalem council, Peter doesn't, Peter's there and he doesn't preside over the council. James presides over the first ecumenical council. <laughs> I know that's a little bit anachronistic to call it that, but the first council of the church, Acts 15, the Jerusalem council, James is the one who presides over it. Why? Because James is the head of the church in Jerusalem. So this goes back to, I think, the bishops have the keys. The bishops exercise the authority together. You know, the, it's, it's the apostles, not Peter above the apostles, above the rest of the church. So those are just well, some... But some... you say that. That's actually interesting, though, because yeah. if, correct me if I'm wrong again, if there's Catholics out there or if you know, when I was doing some of the studying here, to me, it seemed like the Pope for a while was... Um, like a leader among equals. It was like this circle of bishops with the Pope being sort of like, you know, we're, we're, we're all equals. We all are, are you know, play the same, uh, have, a, have an important role, yet there's this distinct leader who is still a leader. And then that eventually, again, we're talking about the development over the last couple of thousand years of this. Eventually, the, the Pope shifted out as becoming like a sole head and leader and then a sort of like chain of command. Yeah. You know, the, sort of falling down beneath that. The idea of the Bishop of Rome being the first among equals is a very ancient idea. And a lot of a lot of like Eastern Orthodox bishops are and, and and theologians are happy to to give that place of honor to Rome because right. um I, I don't know how much of this is maybe questioned by historical study and maybe maybe this is some of this is only tradition, but 
assume, let's just if it's a tradition, let's just assume it's true. You know, because we're making a theological statement here. Um, Peter and Paul went to Rome and worked there. Rome was, like you mentioned, a central hub just in the empire. So it's a, the biggest city, the most central city. The church there was very prominent for that reason. The church there played a lot of prominent roles. Um, it was the only major city in, in the Western Empire for the first few hundred years. It was the only major, you know, uh, bishop there was the bishop in Rome and the entire West. Um, they played a lot of roles in the ecumenical councils. We got like Leo's Tome with Chalcedon and and um, before then at Nicaea and stuff. Like, um, so the first among equals idea is very different than supremacy because right. like you're saying when you transition from being the first among equals having like this honorary sort of you know like you represent peter he was sort of the leader of the apostles so it's like an honor sort of an honorary thing but you train but you still have that that the council of bishops are equals you transition into oh well because of peter we have this one bishop who's the, the supreme bishop it no longer is first among equals. It's just first. Right. So I guess, yeah, one of, I mean, as we sort of maybe begin to wrap this conversation up, you know, some, some questions come to mind. Um, and, and one of them that jumps, obviously, I mean, maybe not to you or to people listening, but to me, the one that obviously jumps to the forefront of my mind is does the Pope does do, do these dogmas, these doctrines undermine the reality that Christ is the head of the church? Um, is the Pope a co-head? Is he uh, a lesser head? Um, is he a lesser leader? And I, I, you know, being a Reformed Baptist, I wanted to consult the, the 1689 and just kind of see maybe what they had to say on this issue. Not that they are the supreme authority, not that they are always right and infallible, um, but this is sort of like because the 1689 comes out of the Westminster, like they, they use a lot of the same language, the same... Um, they share a lot of the same ideas. It's it's very similar. But in the 1689, they say that the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church. By the Father's appointment, all authority is conferred on him in a supreme and sovereign manner to call, institute, order, and govern the church. The Pope of Roman Catholicism cannot in any sense be the head of the church. Rather, he is the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, who exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. The Lord will destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Um, which is some really strong language. Um, I'm not exactly sure how I how I feel about it necessarily. I know again, I know that the Westminster says the same thing, and that's um, you know, I think even Martin Luther himself, yeah. I think, might have said that the Pope was the Antichrist or a Antichrist, not like the final one that Revelation talks about. But even Jesus says there will be many Antichrists. Um, and what that means is just people who are set up in opposition to Jesus and his kingdom. Um, whether or not there will be a full and final Antichrist to come is not the point. But um, a man of lawlessness, a man of, I think, perdition is probably like the old language to use, man of destruction. Um, so that, again, that's some really strong language. And as, as Protestants, I'm not saying we need to be using that language when we speak of the Pope. Um, but when we understand our history and um, sort of where, you know, the Protestant Reformation was birthed from. I mean, the whole point of Martin Luther's 95 Theses, again, wasn't to um, start a war, but was to be like, hey, let's consider these 95 points and see if we can come to a, um, you know, loving, 
conclusion and instead there was obviously a great divide that was right sort of unforeseen on his part and if you read um, the 95 yeah, what theses is... he's not concerned with the pope being the pope <laughs> he's cool with it right. at that stage um that wasn't his concern in you know starting that conversation it just kind of obviously later he i think his he was a little embittered towards the pope when the pope tried to you know have him killed and whatnot but i guess that is maybe understandable <laughs> yeah but yeah that's that's sort of the question that comes to mind is does 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 this office undermine christ and his role as the head of the church and maybe we don't have a good answer but that was something i at least wanted to consider in this broader conversation you know when it, again when it comes to authority when it comes to um supremacy and infallibility i mean to even use these words um we ought to exercise caution. I mean, they're pretty um, powerful words to be used. Definitely powerful. Yeah, I mean, I think that's... I wouldn't want to... I think that the papacy properly understood as the official magisterial teachings of the church, you know, claims. I don't think that that's the case. Popular lay-level day-to-day kind of stuff. I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that that Roman clergy struggles with, is, is is lay people sort of approaching things that way, like you're saying, where hmm. the the um, the headship of Christ being, you know, I, I I tend to want to give the benefit of the doubt to other Christian groups. I tend to, as we should, you know, kind of operate in that sense. So I I, I might be a little more generous than I might be with certain other kinds of people, but like. It seems to me that the way, you know, the way that the official formulations are, I think that they miss the mark and that they inadvertently lead to some problems that might include that, depending on the person and depending on, you know, how well they're trained or taught. Um, But I do think that there's some there's some exegesis I disagree with and then some historical work that I disagree with that um, leads me to, to just, you know, to just say that, that uh, I, I think they just missed the mark. You know, I, I don't think it's this like malicious conspiracy to control the world, <laughs> to take the right. most extreme kind of reaction. I also don't think that it's uh, a, you know, faithful witness to, Jesus's words, the words of scripture and the practice uh, and belief and proclamation of the early church. Um, so for those reasons, I think we're, we're pretty good to, to have our objections to it and, and to seriously consider the claims being made in a way that uh, points out <clears throat> where they seem to fall short, at least in our estimation. Um, right. So yeah, I don't know. I think that that might be a good place to wrap it up. Um, I am going to close us out with um, a couple collects from the the evening prayer for today. Um, so today is the ninth Sunday after Pentecost. Um, for those who follow along, you know we're a little bit back in time from you listening now, but that's where we're praying from. <laughs> so let's pray. Almighty and merciful God. It is only by your grace that your faithful people offer you true and laudable service. 
Grant that we may run without stumbling to obtain your heavenly promises through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Lord God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, triumphed over the powers of death and prepared for us our place in the new Jerusalem, grant that we, who have this day given thanks for his resurrection, may praise you in that city of which he is the light and where he lives and reigns forever and ever. O God, you manifest in your servants the signs of your presence. Send forth upon us the spirit of love, that in companionship with one another, your abounding grace may increase among us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast, or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com for any feedback, questions, episode ideas for future topics to cover. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your input, especially especially um, on this episode, especially on this episode, and especially on the episodes where we maybe say things you disagree with. That, that we'd love to have those conversations. So please don't don't hold back. Don't hesitate. You can sign up for our newsletter. Get a weekly email blast that just gives some updates on upcoming episodes and any news that's going on. Please check out logos.com/doxologypodcast for more information on our amazing sponsor, Logos Bible Software. And until next time, we'd love to hear from you. Later. Later.